0: And welcome to the Real Life Sports Show. This podcast is for sports fans, whether you're playing it, interested in it, or looking to learn from high achievers. My name is Sam Adams. I'm known as the Real Life Coach. I'm a business owner and a life coach, and I work with sports professionals, athletes, coaches, and people in and around the industry. I help those people live more expansively, more authentically, so that they can enhance their performance, whether that's playing their game or living their real life. My background is in business. I've been in business for over 20 years in property. I've mentored and coached in that industry, and that led me into being a life coach. I'm super passionate about sports, and that's what led me to working in that industry and creating this podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking to some amazing human beings, some elite athletes and people from that industry. We're going to be talking about the glory, the glamour, the achievements and the medals. But we're also going to go to the real life bit, behind the scenes, what it really takes to excel. We're going to talk about the guts, the determination, the grit and the grime. For you the listener you're going to get some great takeaways and insight whether you're looking to achieve for yourself in around your mindset or your personal development this is the podcast for you so if you enjoy the podcast I'd love for you to leave me a five-star review and any comments you have so here we go the real life sports show So yes, welcome everybody. As you just heard from the intro, this is another episode of the Real Life Sports Show with me, Sam Adams. And today, uh, awesome guest today. This is probably, I hope, going to be one of the best listened to podcast episodes that I've put out there because I'm a massive tennis fan. Uh, If I had to list my top three sports, athletics and tennis are up there the third one I'd have to juggle around but definitely athletics and tennis I watched this lady well probably stalked you which is a bit late to tell you that now but anyway um, but I watched this lady in all her double ma- doubles matches uh, absolutely loved her attitude on court and I was absolutely blown away and delighted when she agreed to be on my podcast so welcome to the Real Life Sports Show to Renee Stubbs hey Renee well thanks
1: thanks Sam thanks for having me
0: you're very welcome. Now, um, like I said, just before we started recording, um, I was really stoked when you said uh, that you would come on the podcast because um, I, I just watched you uh, growing up. Like I said, I'm a massive watcher of tennis. I'm not such a great player. <laughs> I do have a little go, but it's uh, pretty poor standard. Uh, my dad was a tennis player in our family. And um, yeah, I, w- I watched a lot of you, you know, as, as when I, in my younger days. I don't think we're too dissimilar in age. I know you're about you're 50, right? Big five O, yeah. The big five O. 0 So, yeah, so I did watch you and sort of my... But anyway, look, you, you, you've you done so incredibly well in your tennis career and your playing career. Uh, six-time grand, uh, grand Slams in the doubles uh, and mixed doubles combined. Four times Olympian, uh, which is incredible. Uh, now you're a podcaster. You've been coaching as well. Commentating. I know you're currently commentating, is it NBC for the Olympics? Um, I am, when I went into Wikipedia, I'm not going to lie. I had to scroll quite a long way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I work. Uh, I work pretty full time with the ESPN, but right now I'm doing NBC. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, I guess focusing on your playing career first, which is phenomenal, uh, when you look back at it. Like I said, when I scroll through Wikipedia, it's pretty long. Um, yeah. Yeah, and this on this show, we kind of like to. I guess go behind what that was like, because all of us, most of us ever see, I mean, I work with athletes and sports pros, so I kind of get to see behind the scene, but most people, and for much of my life, we had no, you know, I had no clue what it took to be an elite athlete, to play at the top level, the mindset, the physicality of that. Um, And that's what kind of stuff that I like to talk about on this, uh, on this podcast. But first of all, I want to ask you, how the heck you got into tennis?
1: Um. Well, I mean, I'm Australian, so we tend to get thrown out of our house to try and go for sports uh, by our parents. So I was, uh, you know, often went down to the beach or went swimming. I was a competitive swimmer when I was younger. And then um, <clears throat> I just took up tennis. Uh, my parents got me out of the house uh, during a, a school holiday and I went and did a camp down in there. But as I said, you know, as a kid, really, at seven, eight, nine, ten, I was doing all kinds of sports. Um, and then i think i just really discovered that i was pretty good at tennis so i kept going and my brother was quite a good tennis player as well so mm. i you know you, often as a kid you want to be like your older brother or older sister and um so both my older sister and brothers played and so i just kind of wanted to hang out with them
0: yeah um yeah. and
1: then my coach at the time i think he realized that i had a little bit of a talent so he sort of stressed me having individual lessons and then after that you sort of start to get a little bit better and then I went into playing some junior tournaments and started having results there winning matches and so it just kind of inevitably you kind of keep taking the next step one after the other and um Mm -hmm. that's what really happened yeah
0: awesome and were you pretty naturally gifted at most
1: sports or I think I would be described as um a typical tomboy um kind of could really do any sport uh obviously with an older brother I I played with him all the time whether it was cricket or you know hitting golf balls across the park or or you know uh playing rugby in the backyard or um you know during various different I swam competitively as a young kid okay so I mean I kind of just did all-round sports and I think that's really healthy for anybody or any kid or any parent that is wanting to bring their kid into any sport yeah, don't, don't maybe pigeonhole them into one sport too early. Um, I mean, Richard Williams will probably tell you otherwise, but um, <laughs> I, think that, I think that that's a rarity. Um, I think it's really important for all kids to sort of get their dexterity in everything they do. And so, yeah, I, I think it was probably about probably about 11 where I started really concentrating a little bit more on tennis.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And I guess, you know, I'm in good old uh, England, which, you know, we're not known for our weather um but out in oz i think was it were you raised in sydney and around sydney is that right yeah
1: Yeah, i was was raised in sydney so um you know as i said i spent i had a i had nice places to play and hmm. um, nice weather and um you know i had i think that one of the most important things is to find a really good coach at that age who's not necessarily um you know focused too much on the results but more on Uh, the technique and enjoyment of the sport. And I was really lucky when I was, uh, you know, my first early stages of playing, I had a really very enthusiastic coach that still to this day in his eighties, I I would imagine is still coaching. So uh, I just, he was very passionate about the sport and um, he sort of understood my, um, understood my passion for, you know, just being rambunctious and a bit crazy and <laughs> let me let me be me and um you know focused on my my technique and things like that and and really was just more about he he was so enthusiastic about my talents yeah. that made me maybe good about myself and I think that's really important for coaches when you're teaching young kids if you have a kid that's got a bit of talent rather than sort of tell them how great they are just tell them how you know good they're getting every day as awesome. opposed to how good they can be just yeah. you're doing so well today yeah
0: Yeah. Awesome. Were you, were your parents sort of, you know, as you could obviously naturally see that you had a talent for this, uh, I mean, you didn't have a pushy coach, but also just a coach that, you know, encouraged you to, you know, just love the game, I guess, and get better with your technique. What were your, what were your family like once you sort of started to get well, because I'm assuming you moved away from the other sports, did you and just focus on the tennis once you sort of got 11, 12?
1: Yeah. I, my parents, um, you know there was at that stage well we just had a new newborn. Uh, my little brother was born when I was about uh, 11 or 12. so mm. my parents were, my parents had their hands full my mom particularly with four children at that stage and a young toddler. Um, yeah. so actually thinking back on it, it's quite remarkable that they were able to do anything. Um, my dad worked, <laughs> you know very long arduous hours over the nighttime schedule he would work from like 11 you know like <gasps> yeah. 1 a.m till 12 p.m. Mm-hmm. um and then uh, my mom had five kids to really raise so um you know if I was out of the house it was kind of like you're on your own kid uh here's your bike <laughs> go you know those in the days where you could ride your bike around everywhere and I would I was a very independent child yeah. and I think my parents understood that about me and sort of let me be myself and let me yeah. go off and do whatever I wanted to do um so so yeah I, I think the independence and just letting me pursue what I, I loved I think it helped that I had an older brother that was kind of around as well yeah um, I just weren't so stressed about me being on my own but um but honestly I think my parents were so they had their hands full with their own lives that they just sort of let me enjoy what I was doing and I rode my bike down to the tennis courts prior to school or I took the bus yeah. up to school so I really loved what I did and they just kind of let me go they, they weren't my parents were not pushy at all
0: no, that's awesome. I mean, it's funny, you know, you touched on uh, Richard Williams. I've actually met Richard Williams and had a, a couple of conversations with him, only by chance, randomly, really. Um, and obviously, yeah, we know the Williams sisters sort of really, that was that was their life, wasn't it? It was just... You're gonna yeah. be. You're gonna be. That 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 future goal was always. Well, you know, I don't know Richard personally, or or Serena or Venus, but you know that from what I've seen, the documentaries and everything like that, it's like that was like his one aim was that they were gonna be
1: number one, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think when you uh, can can uh, can can actually sort of try and you know get in the mindset of uh, two young kids at that age and their father yeah. just instills that passion in them. Uh, you know, he was able to achieve, a, you know, it's a remarkable story, to be quite mm-hmm. honest with you. Um, and, you know, we see it from time to time. I mean, you know, Naomi uh, had a, you know, similar sort of Santa upbringing. Father, and, yeah. and uh, you know, Coco Goff, for example, as well. Um, but I, I just think that, um, I think that not everybody's, gonna, not everything's going to turn out like Venus and Serena. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the one thing I will say about Venus and Serena is that they, I know them very well. I've known them since I were kids, hmm. and uh, I mean, literally since they were like ten and eleven years of age. So I just hmm. think the thing that, above all of their talents and their ability to win matches and grand slams, and is that they're they're really good people. Like they're really nice people. They've hmm. he's done. You know, Oracine and Richard did a really great job of upbringing two very, you know, I want I don't want to say well behaved, but um, but they're just they're just they're just two good people.
0: Mm -hmm. and that ultimately is what we want for everyone really isn't it we want to be a good person
1: to be honest with you i think it's why they've had such longevity as well because they've sort of managed their lives really well and i think it's because they've had a loving family relationship um Mm. their brothers and with their sisters and with their parents and um and their sibling you know so it's it's been a loving environment for them we've obviously also supported by their by their other sisters and the rest of their family but um yeah, it's a loving family, and I think that that's really important. For mm. we've had our nightmare parents in tennis, and yeah. <laughs> uh, and Richard, uh, I would not even remotely put in that category.
0: No, like I said I've spoke to him twice, and I had well, you know, as much as you can make out of a five minute, ten minute conversation with someone, but yeah, I had I had a couple of lovely conversations with him. Um, and he seemed like an upstanding guy, but I just, you know, from and I know Serena will say that it's family first. I think, it, you, know, if, you know, you ask Serena what's a priority and she will say family first. And, you know, you were talking about your family and that's why I'm really interested to hear, you know, because I always talk about family when I do these podcasts, you know, because you do get the pushy parents, you do get the parents that have this idea for their children like Richard, but there, there still can be a difference in that. Um, and, and with that, when you've got parents like that, comes a pressure to perform, to, to, to show up, to continue in something you might not enjoy, but doesn't sound like that was your experience. It sounds like, you know, you love doing it, got on your bike, got get out of the house. As long as you're doing something you enjoy, go do it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, one of the most important, if not the most important thing to instill in your child with anything is uh, particularly the, the their chosen profession um, is passion. They have to have passion for it. And if they don't, at some point that, 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 uh, that wears off um yeah. whether it be you know making them afraid to play or making them afraid to let you down at some point mm-hmm. they will push against you mm-hmm. so um if they have the passion for the game and you instilled that in them no matter what you tell them they're going to want to win because yeah. they want to play and so that's yeah that's ultra important
0: yeah absolutely passion uh i think comes up every time i do this podcast every time i do this podcast, well i
1: have I a, a tattoo on my arm right here it says passion and i think it's um I, I, the reason I put it on my arm is because I you know always I'm going to put a tattoo on my arm I want it to be a permanent thing that in you know that that I believe in whether it be you know whatever but uh, for me if you don't have passion for whatever you're doing or whomever you're with or whatever it is then it's not going to be successful yeah. so I think that um you know I'm really lucky i've've i've I feel like I've never worked a day in my life and I've, <laughs> yeah I've worked really hard in my life you know whether it be with uh, my Tennis and my results and my TV work and or my relationships or my networking. I I have passion for what I do and I love it.
0: Absolutely. I I mean, I know Les Brown says, isn't it? I think it's Les Brown. I'm not sure whether Les was the person that said it originally. Um, uh, But, you know, yeah, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I don't think Les said it originally. Actually, it was probably somebody else like Jim Rohn or someone. But it's true. Um, You know, my passion is, is my work and it's become my purpose you know that you know passion and purpose go hand in hand I think um when you find out who you are when you really connect with yourself you accept yourself you show up in the world as who you really are you've got the potential to reach your full potential you find your passion and your purpose through that and all those things are really really connected for for me and certainly in the work that I do um so yeah passion always comes up every time what um so just take us on a little bit from sort of 11, 12 years. Where where did, did you ever get to a point as a teenager or that you thought, yeah, I'm pretty good at this? Did it, You know, you started winning tournaments and think, or, you know, competitions. Did you think I can, you know, where was the professional element come into it and thought, well, I could make a career out of this?
1: Um, I think probably the time that I felt like I could be successful, at least um, I know in doubles. Um, you know, I had my struggles in singles just because I, I had a few injuries, um, particularly when I got to a, the highest point in my singles career. I, got, I had a fairly bad wrist injury that put me out mm. for nine months, and it really threw out my um, my climb up the singles rank. I got to sixty two, I think, or four in the world, mm. and and I was starting to really understand the game really well. But doubles always came so naturally to me, and I think the reason, one of the reasons why I knew I could be successful in doubles, mm. was that I used to practice really early in my career with. Uh, with uh, a couple of really great former uh, players in Kathy Mm. Jordan and Liz Smiley, for example, they played doubles together and they won Wimbledon together. And they, that the year that they won Wimbledon, they broke the Navratilova and um, Pam Shriver streak of, I don't, God knows how many match wins that they've had, like a hundred or something. And I used to, um, because Liz is Australian, she kind of took me under her wing a little bit and I'd travel around and I'd stay at her house, for example, in Orlando. And when I was kind of like had no money and (laughs) You know, as us, most Aussies do, we kind of rely on hospitality from, <laughs> from um, But uh, I used to practice with Liz and Kathy all the time when I was quite young. And I remember sort of feeling like I could play with them. I felt like I was good enough to practice with them. Yeah. I felt like learning a lot from them. But I thought overall, I thought I could match match it with them. Maybe not quite yet, but I, was, mm. I felt like there was a, a level playing field there at some point. Yeah. um so that kind of gave me the thought that well you know gee Safe one wimbledon like i'm pretty good if i can keep up with them and if i can you know if they want to hit with me and practice with me and have me yeah. on the court i can't like say how valuable that was for me as a young player and i think i see young players hitting with older players now or, or more established players and mm. if i was working with anybody and and you know, a top player asks my player to hit. I'd be like, "You're hitting with them. I don't care." You know, because you learn so much from that m- moment. And sometimes you can be on the court and you can be playing against them and going, "I'm, I'm kind of matching it with yeah. them. Can I be as good as them?" You know, yeah. so it kind of takes a little bit of a mirror um, to be shown in front of you um, with the ability that you're playing against. And yeah. so for me, playing and practicing with them made made me feel like I was possibly good enough to do it. Yeah. And then Obviously, when I won my first tournament in doubles, um, Helena Sokova, who was a great former singles and doubles player, I, remember um, her. I played against <laughs> and she asked me to play um, after I lost to her in the following tournament. Right. And, um, you know, of course, I actually said no at first because I was so scared that if we didn't win, it was all going to be my fault. <laughs> <laughs> kind of had to be, put my big, big girl pants on and said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll play. And um, you know, I knew from that moment on, then, okay, you, you you're playing with the big dogs now, like yeah. you need to get your, you know what together and show up for this player. And um, you know, I was just really blessed that she asked me to play. And we, you know, that was the first tournament I ever won. I couldn't have played or asked to play with a better partner because she was so, experienced and um you know she kind of led me through that tournament and we ended up winning the tournament and that was the first of 60 doubles tournaments that I won so you know I thank Helena so much for even seeing you know what others that maybe had seen in me maybe I hadn't seen in myself yet to Mm. say hey listen you're pretty good why don't you why don't we team up and um so yeah so I thank Helena for a lot of um you know at least the beginning of my career getting me started yeah I mean
0: excuse me that's some record though isn't it 60 Sixty titles. That's just like wow. Okay. Yeah, no, that is incredible. You know, incredible. Um, I guess once you become sort of more successful, you know, as a kid, what, what was there? You know, what was your kind of life like back then? Was it because you know, when I talk to a lot of athletes and young footballers and the like, you know, that the, the uh, and the training and the discipline that they. Have to uh, implement and stick to in order to be at the highest level. How was it for you in those early years?
1: Um, well, you know, before I moved to the US, um, you know, prior to being, I, I bought a house there when I was twenty-five. Mm. I had enough money at that point to be able to put down, you know, down payment, and and, mm. and I was very lucky that way. But um, you know, prior to that, I was traveling around, as I said, a lot. I was kind of like trying to get help from the. From the federation i mean i i you know i did a lot myself to be honest with you like by the time i was 20 i was really out of the system in australia and i was you know thrust into the world on my own mm. so um you know i just relied on being around good people and good friends and as i said people like liz smiley who had a place in orlando and i used to sort of just turn up yeah. <laughs> and stay with her or you know i remember staying with pam schreiber one time and she kind of took me under her at tracy austin i mean
0: yeah. you know these
1: are older players that sort of um you know, sort of put out a a hand that I could practice with them and stay with them sometimes. And um, I just, you know, I just grinded my way. I just grinded away. And, um, you know, uh, then I started playing doubles with Lisa Raymond and, you know, my life changed then. um, And we, you know, became very successful. Phenomenal, you 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 guys yeah For those six or seven years you know we 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 did very well and um you know we ended up we were a partnership as well I mean we uh mm. we ended up being uh you know partners in real life and mm. so that was that kind of put us into this cycle of like a seven year winning and being in a relationship and and also like you know so we were kind of back and forth staying in each other's home so mm. you know I felt like I had a real sense of um a home for me you know being away from australia and having lisa you know on the road with me all the time and mm. you know us having tremendous success together and um so you know i was lucky in that sense um i made my own community basically yeah uh, sure. and but how so. how is
0: that though dealing with the because pre- when it's funny because i've been watching the olympics obviously olympics is on and there's there's quite a few couples you know it, uh, there was badminton i was just watching badminton and great britain we've got a uh, a mixed doubles and they're they're a couple they're a partnership in real life as well and i just wonder how that is really how you manage that dynamic it's not when...
1: recommended it's not recommended <laughs> <laughs> well although actually lisa and i were we were best friends uh so we just you know we we took that the highs and the lows together but yeah. uh, you know the lows were tough but we also were so supportive of one another um awesome you know, uh, that we were able to sort of, well, she was able to let go of losses really well. I wasn't so good at it. But, um, right. but you know, overall, we we managed pretty well. I mean, we had our moments, but anybody in life has their moments with mm. their partners, whether it be just going shopping. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, we had our moments, but we the success we had was, I mean, that overshadowed everything. I mean, to win the Grand Slam and my first Grand Slam and our first Grand Slam together as a mm. the couple was... Um, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty unbelievable, to be honest, uh, that I got to share that with my best friend. Um, yeah. So, so that in itself was, uh, you know, there were difficult moments, obviously, when we lost, but um, mm. when we won, there was just no one I wanted to share it with more and oh, That
0: must be phenomenal. Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, obviously you see people winning competitions now. And of course, the first thing you want to do is go and find your loved ones, isn't it? And you you were yeah. on the court with your loved
1: well, one I was right there, the first person I got to hug. So. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Somebody sent me a link the other day, and actually, yeah, the final of the Strain Open, and um, I remember that moment so well. And I don't know if it was, a, it was telepathic or anything, but Lisa like texted me like f- f- one minute later. I was like, oh, I don't know if we're having osmosis here, but I was just thinking about you. You know, anyway Uh, because we're obviously still really close and good friends so um, yeah so so, you know it was just a maturation and then you know we broke up and uh, you know a partnership broke up and then I started playing uh, on and off with Cara Black and Mm. I had a lot of success with Cara Mm. and you know I was lucky getting Cara um, because she's you know really one of the great doubles players of all time as well and Mm. she could handle my ups and downs and my crazy on the court and um, and Kara was you know just one of the best human beings I was ever around on the tennis court and she just had such a great tennis IQ and yeah, I played some of my best tennis playing with Kara as well. Um, so yeah I, I owe a lot to you know I, I owe a lot to a lot of really great um, female partners in my life. Yeah, awesome.
0: How was, oh, thank you for sharing that by the way. That, that's really good to hear behind cause, you know what as a, growing up I was like are these guys are a couple you know it's always that in my head when I was watching you play tennis. Um, and I just wonder how that works because yeah, you know, it can it can be tricky, like like you said just going to do the shopping, let alone your career, your job as it were, and you're doing close quarters.
1: We can be very honest with one another, sometimes good, sometimes bad.
0: But it sounds like from what you were saying that you you manage the losses maybe less well.
1: Well, because my personality is very different to Lisa. Lisa's very low key and sort of would run it. She, she, Lisa would rather run away from confrontation. I'd rather run straight through it. So right. <laughs> you, you can understand why the juxtaposition of our personalities on the court worked, really, yeah, because yeah. sometimes she needed pulling up and I sometimes I needed pulling down. So it was it was a good yeah. combination. Same with Cara. Cara was quite a, a quiet, you know, individual, very, shy, you know, I wouldn't say shy, but very quiet. And yeah. so, you know, she could bring me down, I could bring her up. You know, we you have to have, have balance, that opposed personality on the court sometimes and uh it just worked for us uh, yeah,
0: yeah amazing how was um in terms of sort of i guess fitness and your routine for that you know leading up to all of that because you know that, that's where the hours are isn't it in the practice ground you know you go out and play a match might be a couple of hours i don't know but you know the day in day out grind because we you know we the public get to see the glory you know I, like i say, i watched you win many times and we see all of that and we think it's easy um but really what was that like going behind the scenes your day in sort of day out practice and, and regime
1: like yeah i mean look the public see a tenth of what we do really um mm. maybe maybe 20 percent of what we do because obviously playing the matches is quite a a, a big chunk of the day mm. um but you know there's the uh, practices the three four hour practices when you're not at a tournament and the, you're in you know, an hour to an hour and a half in the gym and all that sort of stuff and then mm. You know, all of those things that go along with it now, you know, you have a sports psychologist and, um, you know, various things that, that a lot of players do now. So there's a lot of, you know, then there's physio and massage and all. that. And, yeah, you say, oh, what a massage, how great. But believe me, <laughs> it's just it's part of the day that you have to do because you have to take care of your body. So it's just a lot of hours that are put into off court um as well as on court and then obviously the matches and the stress that goes into you know the thing that you don't don't really see also is a tournament player. you may be fourth on so that whole entire day you're just stressed out you know so it's not like you wake up and you just you know you have your day and you're having a great day and then you switch on and you go and play a match you are stressed from the moment you open your eyes so that's why you see players get so excited when they win because it's just it's been you know, release, isn't it? hours of like stress that they've been under for nine or, you know, 7am in the morning till let's say they're fourth on and they get off the court at 7.30. Mm. That's, that's a long, a really long day of, of, uh, stress. And so finally they can kind of let it all out after they win a match or, mm. you know, lose a match, but it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 I think stress is uh, underrated in um, our world. Um, yeah, no. And, I mean, obviously Naomi has sort of touched upon it a little bit in the last little bit, but you know, I, I could I could name I could name hundreds of tennis players that have uh, felt the stresses mm. of yeah you know, this this life, and some that have retired early, some couldn't take it anymore, um, mm. some thrived, some didn't, um, and you know, it's just it's not something you want to really it's not something you talk about very much. No. But, I can tell you the one thing that every tennis player says to me, and I just recently saw Kiki Burtons, for example, uh, who I believe uh, lost yesterday. Maybe he played her last singles match in her career. But <clears throat> she said to me warming up at Wimbledon, um, she was warming up for her, her singles match. And you could tell she was just looking very stressed. And mm. I looked at her and she looked at me and she goes, I'm not going to miss this. And I said, i tell you, that's the one thing I don't miss, is that stress before a match. And it's mm. it's, just, it's, well, it just takes it out of you, you know. So those are the little things that people don't see.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've written down about, you know, mental health, stress and Naomi because it's obviously been very much in the media. And, you know, some of my clients that I work with, um, you know, I've got a young, a very talented runner, uh, and, but managing the stress has been their biggest challenge. Um, which has led to depression, which then leads to, you know, all sorts of, you know, spirals. And as you know, um, so I kind of know a little bit about the stress um, that that goes on about competing, about that kind of life, because you're very much in a bubble. And especially on tennis tour, you know, you're literally all traveling around together. Um, So you're in this your own little world and your identity is wrapped up pretty much in that world as well. You know, identity is a massive thing.
1: It, for athletes yeah. as well, it, it's definitely um, you know you you can say it until you blew in the flat face, and now as a coach as well, um, mm. your identity is not wrapped up in your wins and losses. Mm. Your identity is wrapped up in who you are as a person, and I think that's the one thing that um, I I'm fairly certain um, is that Ash Barty has done really well over the last yeah. five, you know two years since coming back. Yeah. I mean, this is a player that quit the sport at seventeen because the stresses were getting too much for her, yeah. even though she had. I believe had made three Grand Slam doubles finals, at least two mm. at 17. That's unbelievable. And I I remember her having the conversation with me at Wimbledon and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna take a break. I'm gonna stop. And I was like, what? Like, I just couldn't even conceptualize what she was mm. saying to me. I was like, you know, even even as shallow a thing as she'd made like at that point, like $700,000 that year. And I was like, wait, you're walking away from this? Like what? Mm. You know, but um, you know, she was, she was over it. She was stressed. She was depressed. She was sad. Yeah. Missed her family. She wasn't having, I mean, maybe she wasn't feeling she was having the results. She wasn't getting the results she wanted, uh, you know, but the bottom line is she stepped away for almost two years of her career. Mm. And now look at what she's been able to achieve coming back because mm. she felt joy and her passion. Right. Again, for the sport. And what people don't realize is that since coming back, you know, if you ever hear her talk, she says, we all the time, Yeah. you know, we've done this today. We did this well today. We achieved that. We have been on the road. It's never, I never, never, ever I. It's always Mm. we. And you would understand. That's a way of taking pressure off of I Mm. it's a way of making it. This is a team thing with her coach and her whatever, whoever's Mm. around her it's it's a it's a team environment which is what what she likes because she walked away from the game to play cricket cricket yeah Uh, you know because she wanted to be in a team environment and maybe share the stresses with the team and so maybe that's her way of you know sharing the stress that it's not just on her 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 eye and her identity and i think you know her saying it was it took her a long time to even verbalize that she wanted to win wimbledon and you know, once you do that, then, okay, well, hello, yeah. have you done it yet? What you... So all of a sudden you're like, oh, I haven't done it yet. Oh, the stress. Mm. So, you know, I think if there's one thing to learn from watching Ash Barty's m- maturation through her life is to understand that she has learned. She didn't come, she didn't pop out like this. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. very unusual, like, you know, there's a very rare Richard and Williams, Serena <laughs> Williams, Guinness Williams situation. She had to learn to deal with the stress. Yeah, And she had to learn to deal with the possible disappointment of not playing well or what people think of her. And she's worked a lot on her mental game. I mean, it's so obvious. Um, And so, you know, to see her cry after she won Wimbledon, that to me showed an enormous amount of um, relief um, and, you know, stress off of her shoulders, but I'll never, ever, ever uh, question Ash Barty's um, understanding of what's best for her. Yeah. I think the lesson to be learned is your identity is not mixed up in who you, what you do on the court. And she talked about it. Her most important role is how she is as a human being. And so oh, 100%. that, that turning that focus on off of winning mm. into, are you doing a good job? Are you a good person? That's all that matters. And, you know, I did my podcast with Venus, um, recently. And one of the things that she said that her parents, um, did not push her into winning and losing it was about um the process Mm. and she said they were process driven and she kind of sat back and went oh i i haven't really thought about that but my parents were process driven Mm. so i think if there's one thing that i can teach to anybody is that it's the process it's every day do the right thing be a good person work hard the results will come and and don't wrap yourself up in the wins and losses because that's not really what defines you yeah, um, absolutely. There's many winners out there that have won a lot of matches that are assholes and they don't have a lot of respect. Yeah. Um, so I, think, I, think- I say
0: that as well as, you know, I talk about that. that I do a, a whole talk on identity and ath- athletic identity. And, um, you know, there's a lot of unhappy, successful people. Uh, and Ash Barty isn't going to be one of them. You no. know, people like Ash Barty, and and, you know, you have to give it
1: applauding. So she you know, she, and that's the thing that I want to stress. It's not oh, like, oh, yeah, she's just always been like that. Oh, yeah. easygoing. going. Oh, Ash Barty, she's so nice. As ever. Hmm. Uh-uh. She had to learn to actually enjoy what she was doing again. And yeah. so, you know, and I everyone's think- like, oh, so easy going. Oh, mate, she has done so much work to get to that point. Yeah. You know? I think that's something that
0: comes across because I watch a lot of tennis um, and interviews and stuff. And one of the things I see is it's about the enjoyment of it as well for her now. Um, It really, really is. So, yeah, she's done a phenomenal amount of work. And thank you again for sharing that. It's an absolutely great insight for for everyone to hear. Um, Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, Identity is a bit, you know, I could probably do, you know, all day talking about identity because, you know, we get, you know, elite athletes get sucked into this world and they're just defined by the tennis, by the football or whatever their sport is. But you're a human first. Yeah. And we all have basic needs that will need to be met. Um, you know, not just your sport, you know, sport is a part of life, whether you're elite or not, you know, whether you play to a high, whatever level you play to, you know, like I'm a passionate sports person. You know, I'm gutted I wasn't elite level. Um, you know, I've played every sport, but, you know, it is a big part of me, but it's not every part of me, um, yeah. you know, and it's the same for elite athletes
1: as well. I think if you're good enough and you put the work in, and you treat people well you'll have the results that you deserve yeah right um and if you don't get the results it's maybe just not good enough and but Mm. that's okay Mm. Uh, that's okay and I think that's the one thing that one lesson that I learned um and I try and you know say this a lot to people is that I was very good uh, until I won my grand slam in doubles for example I made a lot of semi-finals and I'd made a final previously and I've made a ton of quarterfinals and Um, you know, Lisa and I were the number one seeds. We were supposed to win the, we hadn't won a Grand Slam yet, but yet we'd won all these tournaments. And I went on the court and for me, I had to, and this is such a valuable lesson, my insecurities and how I reacted on the tennis court were Mm. angry or upset at myself or, you know, use an excuse, whatever it was, you know, the crowd got loud or someone made a noise or whatever it was, you know, Mm. Um, Lisa's was to, be in her shell and dig a hole and go away and pretend nothing was going on and hope that her talent could win her match. Um, And my role and my goal in that match uh, that when I won my first Grand Slam was to try and maintain my composure as much as possible. And so for me, that was the hardest thing for me to do. I could, I could poach on a ball being hit at me hundred miles an hour. I could run for, I could do anything on the tennis court if I pushed myself. But controlling my emotions Mm. was the hardest thing in the world for me to do. And so I made a a commitment to myself. I was going to try and stay as composed as possible in that match. Mm. And that was the hardest. It wasn't hitting a backhand. It wasn't hitting the serve. It was controlling my emotions. Mm. And to this day, I've said, if I hadn't won that match and 20 years ago, like now I can look back 20 years ago and say, if I hadn't won the match, it would have just been because i wasn't good enough yeah it wasn't it wouldn't be because my attitude or you know my my insecurities or my all the bad traits mm. cost me the match it was just i just wasn't up to it tennis wise yeah and that in 20 years time is if that's fine to 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 admit to yourself mm. but to look back and say if only and mm. i hate that word in sports or in yeah. anything in life because if I now at 20 years later go, oh, but if only I just, you know, behave myself or not to, so pissed off or blah, 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 blah. Mm. It's like, what? That is such a waste of, of an opportunity. Yeah. So I think the, the thing that I'm proudest of is I did the hardest thing possible for me, which was to maintain my composure. Mm. And we ended up winning. So I got, I got the spoils. I got the, I got the riches from, from being the most difficult thing for me to do. But if I hadn't, at the time, it would have been so difficult to admit to myself that I did everything right and I still didn't win. But 20 years from then, like now, I could look back and be so proud that I actually gave it everything that I could, right? So I think the most important thing for kids to understand is truly give it everything you can, meaning put the work in, work hard off the court, practice hard, do the mental stuff, Try and be the best version of you on the court or on the field mm. or whatever it is, whatever your bad tendencies are, try and stay away from them. And if you do all of that, you will reap the benefits. Mm. And if you lose, it's okay because yeah. that is truly your highest threshold. And not everybody's going to be great, great, right? Mm. But your great is great. And yeah. so let that be. And that's where the process is the most important thing because i know plenty of great players that didn't be weren't number 1 that didn't win grand slams but my god they put 100% in every time and they can walk away from their careers and know that they absolutely gave their 100% best and i think mm-hmm. that's super important and then that does not define you yeah. right and so i think that's i think that's an the ultimate thing is not having regret right yeah. so 20 years from now think about it and say, in, in 20 years' time, am I going to regret this because I didn't do the right things? Mm-hmm. So do the right things because if you don't get the results, it's okay because you'll be able to live with yourself. But in 20 years' time, if you have regret, you, that will not be fun for you.
0: No, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> I could talk to you all day and I'm really gutted that time is running away from us um, because, oh, this is just this is just so good. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, that, it's that emotional agility, isn't it? You know, it's, you know, I always talk about there's two types of hard work. The hard work where you go out, you graft. maybe in tennis it's hit the balls, in football it's kick the ball, free kicks or whatever. But the hardest work of all that you'll ever do is internal. It's in 100%. that, it's, you know, and most people can't go there. Not most people, a lot of people can't go there. And they will no. go out and they'll, they'll do all of that, you know, physical stuff. Yeah. Because they're trying to run from the internal stuff. That's right. And that's the first place you've got to go. So, yeah, it's the emotional. I always moment. say,
1: I always talk about it is it's like a um, you know a path right it's like a v Mm. and you come down a one way road and then you get two streets Mm -hmm. (laughs) right one goes right one goes left the one on the left is the easy way right it's the easy way it's how you react it's how you internalize it's it's all your default bad right Mm -hmm. is that but it's easy because that's what you're used to doing. Mm. And then the, going right is really hard. And it so goes against every grain inside of your body mm. and you know. but the right side is the right way to go, but you just, you tend to go to the left because you're like, Oh, but this is so much easier. Yeah. You know, this, this is what I know. This is only what I know. And it's a path of least resistance, you yeah, know? Absolutely. And I say, take the right path and yeah. take that way and hang in there and in the end that is where the pot of gold is Hmm. that's where the pot of gold is but you have to trust that that's where the pot of gold is and if if you don't get there it's not that the gold wasn't there it just it just it wasn't your day that day
0: yeah absolutely absolutely oh this is so good oh my god uh (laughs) so many things i want to touch on renee Um, i guess i want to i want to i want to just quickly go back to the mental health thing and talk about naomi really really quickly. Because obviously that, you know, her not, you know, doing the media stuff, that, that you know, she, you know, that she got fined for all of that. Um, what what are your thoughts around mental health and the kind of support that, that young players get in tennis? Is it improving? Well, Is it very lacking still? Well,
1: I, think, I think with Naomi, um, you know, look, I think if she could go back and redo this, I think she would go back and redo it in a different way. I think that she right. wouldn't have statement out first of all i think she would retract that right. and try and do it a little bit more behind the scenes um maybe through her agent through the wta through the itf through grand slams you know mm. and just say look i'm you know i'm struggling i just think that you know i'm having a hard time with these press conferences these guys mm. coming up with these crazy stupid questions and whatever it is you know and let's try and work around that
0: mm. in some
1: capacity but once she went out publicly and said it now all of a sudden everybody knows the players yeah. all know and you have to imagine you know every other top player is having to go through press conferences mm. right and and then you've got some that you know don't want to do a press conference but don't have you know $15,000 just to throw away right it's you know Naomi obviously has the money to be able to pay her fines yeah so it it created an unfair advantage right for her to be able to blow off press conferences when other players are having to do the press conferences right, right? So she's spending an hour and a half of her day at home in her comfy comfort you know, of her hotel room when other players are going through an hour and a half of post-match press. And that's Mm. how long they take, you know, a a player has to, it takes about an hour and a half of their time out of their Mm. day. So um, in that respect, I understand how the players did not, were not supportive of her. So I, I understand that from their perspective. Yeah. The flip side is, but what's best for our sport and what's best for our athletes. And for me, I think we need to scrap all the all the people that come into those press conferences. I think we need to look at who's in there. I think there's a lot of people in there that don't really care about the players. They just want to, you know, a tagline or you know some yeah. quote that can blow up and sell yeah. to a newspaper. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, some people might take this, you know, and be really pissed at me. But saying this, but <laughs> you know, the press, the the written press, they pay no money to us, right? As mm. players, they pay no money to the tournament. They 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 don't give us any. I mean, they give publicity, quote, unquote, um, by writing a story about us. But really, that's not where the world is now. The world Mm. is television, social media, and their own platforms. Naomi has her own platform. She has millions and millions of followers. So, you know, the world is evolving. So as far as I'm concerned, the marriage between TV networks and players needs Mm. to stay because Mm. really that's where the player makes their money, right? The face on the television they're 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 being asked questions that they get to answer that they cannot you cannot change those words those are their words right they don't want to answer a question they'll just say well you know i'm not really going to answer that um you know move on um so that marriage needs to stay with the networks with television because they're the ones that pay the big dollars you know obviously i say that working for espn but it's true we you know espn pays millions and i mean tens of millions to put on a uh the network have the rights, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. right? So we're, you know, essentially TV is paying the players there those massive checks at the end of it, right? And they're mm. also getting their face out worldwide on their television screens. So that marriage needs to stay. The press, written press, I think they need to restart them again. And I think that they're antiquated. I think they need to change. I think that there's an opportunity to have a watershed moment with Naomi and say, can we do better with who we let into those press conferences? Mm. And, um, you know, for someone's mental health to go in there and get asked the same question over and over and over. And and nobody, their names aren't attached to it. You know, mm. some random dude from some random paper who nobody reads can ask some random question that's just, a, you know, soul-wrenching. And yeah. it's like, you know, people say, oh, well, you don't need to answer it. But the problem is you've been asked the question already. It's been mm. thrown at you. And I had a conversation with somebody the other day who was a very... Um, well-known tennis player in her country. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, you know, she had a phenomenal couple of years and she said to me, it was, you know, I went in there and I did that. And I and it was the questions that were asked me. I didn't answer a lot of them, but it just, it's inside you. They've asked those questions. They keep going at you with the same Mm. redundant questions and making you feel like shit, Mm. you know? So she's like, I said, yeah, well, that's my point. Like, I think that's where we can start looking at how can we do better as yeah. a whole, you know, in sports about um, not putting players and uh, or any athletes in that environment and doing a better job with that. So I think, you know, with Naomi, she's put the spotlight on it. Now, some people question what was it for, what's going on, we don't know, but that's not for us to know. She's mm. said what she said, and I think as a whole, sports – um or in life we can do better with those press conferences and who we let in there um and i think when you lose a match i don't think we need to go into press conferences i think they can do a um, yeah you know a q a on their own phones send out a, a quote uh, send out a video whatever it is and get it out to millions of people and um you know the, the people writing those uh articles in newspapers they can they can watch the match you yeah. can write a great article just by watching a match exactly. and maybe taking it I think it's um, brutal.
0: You know, I think it's brutal in all sport when, you know, it doesn't matter if it's tennis or whatever. I just think it's brutal. You've lost a match. You know, there's high stakes. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and you get asked these bullshitty questions. I think it's bollocks. Oh, excuse my friend. Yeah. I swear. And they're the same
1: everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and
0: actually, for me as a viewer uh, and somebody watching that, it makes me cringe. I really yeah. don't like it. You know, I'm sure I if mean, I feel yeah. like that. Yeah. That's
1: the problem. The problem is... I don't want to love everybody in this same category mm. uh, because, you know, one of the things I try and do when I do either my podcasts or even my post-match interviews, mm. I try and let the public see the real person. That's yeah. really what I want to get out, like, you know, especially if I know them. and I'm like, you know, let that let that great person come out now. Match is over, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's often a lot of people in press that don't care. They don't yeah. know these people. They have no business caring about them at all. Yeah. You know, so that's what I want to do. I, I'd like to just get rid of everybody in there, take everybody's press credentials away, and we start really start looking fresh. at who we're letting yeah. into those press conferences. That That's the start that I would make.
0: Mm, sounds like a great idea. Probably something we could talk about for ages, and I'm really conscious of time. Um, and I've got a couple of questions before I let you go, if that's okay, I guess really predominantly, obviously more about you is, you know, that transition. Cause you know, something that I work with people is around the transition. When you're, you, you're getting to the end of your career, last up 18 months, two years, how you transition out of that, but for you, and that is a real challenging area. I, I know that from my work and there's been loads written about it, yeah. but how was that for you? Cause you, you kind of went straight into media, didn't you really?
1: Yeah, I was, um, I mean, I I guess I was really fortunate. Um, But, you know, I also planted my seeds all the way along. (laughs) Right, okay. I think the one thing that I can can stress to any athlete, and I try and do this, and it's really hard because when you're an athlete, you're in the moment, right? So you want to be great at what you do. So thinking about your post, quote, unquote, your post-career, is thinking that you're not going to be successful in the one you're in, right? Mm-hmm. So you think, oh, well, I want to go back to school or I want to do this as a job or oh, what should I do? You're not thinking about now, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the problem that athletes make. They, they That's a mistake that they make.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because thinking about your post, you know, career after your sports career, mm-hmm. you have to because you can't play forever, right? Yeah, exactly. Unless you're a darts player or you're playing <laughs> snooker. You can't play forever. You have to at one point go, my body can't do this anymore, whether it be 30 or 40 or whatever it is, right? So have a real conversation with yourself. What do I love? What what would I like to do? Mm -hmm. And start thinking about that early in your career because Mm -hmm. your career will be over at some point. So I was really lucky that I think I – Got an opportunity to do television really early in my career because Mm. somebody asked me what you would like to do after you're done. I said, I don't know, I'd like maybe do what you do. And it was kind of a bit of a joke, but he, but this man in television said, Well, why don't you do something with me tomorrow? And I was 18. And I said, And so I did that. So I knew right away, I was like, Oh, I don't mind doing this. And then throughout my whole career, whenever anyone asked me to do, Would you want to do a bit of TV or radio? I said, Yeah, yeah, sure. And I was very focused on my career. But when I knew that I could, and it wasn't taking away from my, my job. Um, and everybody who knew me knew that I was super focused on what I was doing. I did that. And so I did, I did little peppering of television through my entire tennis professional career. Yeah. And I played 22 years. So as I was, you know, going along, you know, then people could see, oh, I did that, I did that. Now it could be, it doesn't have to be television. It could be mm you know, you like forensic science. Okay, maybe, you know, I'd like to study that when I'm done. Mm. Or maybe I'd like to, um, you know, be an accountant or I love numbers or whatever it Mm. is, you know. So just keep, you know, keep doing it. Like know that your career is going to be finished and you're not thinking about not being successful in the one you're in, right? Mm. Just know that at some point you do, you will stop playing or being an athlete. And so what do you want to do afterwards? And so have a real hard conversation with yourself about that. It's not about not being successful in the one you're in. It's about knowing that you want to be successful in the next one. Yeah, and so, yeah
0: absolutely.
1: I mean, I, I was lucky. I went straight into television, hmm. literally, because I'd already done so much television prior to me even stopping. Yeah. Play. So, you know, I just got lucky. And, and I will say the most important thing to do is when you have a little bit of a name or you have the opportunity to meet really like amazing people, whatever it is in whatever you love to do well let's say you want to be a writer and you know anyone who does another uh profession loves to meet athletes right Mm -hmm. so use that right go you know if you want to be a writer go oh you know maybe i'll send a text or a or an email or a twitter message to you know some famous writer and maybe they'll write me back and be like oh would you like to come to wimbledon yeah Mm -hmm. you know or could i do an internship right so use your use your use your name like Mm -hmm. use the fact that you're a professional tennis player to get your leg or your foot or your toe in the door
0: absolutely
1: profession yeah that's so important because once your career is over people kind of tend to like go "Mm, yeah okay you're you are your former player whatever but when you're playing and you're in the moment people want to know you so use your um Use your notoriety um, while you have it. While
0: you have it, yeah, absolutely. No, that that sounds like amazing advice. Again, another subject we'll probably talk about for ages, but I know I'm like I said, I'm really conscious of time. So obviously, you you ended your career. You've gone into uh, into media, which has been amazing, and you've done a bit of coaching as well. Um, how how has that been? How have you found that? Because I know you you were coaching Carolina right. Plushkova for, for some time, and how did you find yeah. that?
1: Um, I love to coach. I felt like I coached throughout my whole career, you know, whether <laughs> my doubles partners or um, they'll take offence to that, but they'll they'll know what, they'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, you know, just, I, I'm i a student. The game, it's what, you know, it was one of my strengths as a player is that I really read the game. I could, you know, I could look at someone's strengths and weaknesses pretty easily. Yeah. Um, I think technique-wise I sort of understand the game really well. Uh, so it was kind of a natural sort of, progression into that. And I stumbled into it really Carolina randomly texted me. I had done a little bit of coaching prior to that with some friends, Casey DeLacqua, who, um, who was playing and asked me to help her out a little bit when mm. she had her back from her shoulder surgery. And, um, um, so I'd done a little bit of this and that, but, you know, I was doing television and Carolina just randomly texted me out of the blue when she come to Singapore. And I was like, okay, this is so weird. Um, but you know, I loved it. I loved being on court. I loved imparting my you know small bit of wisdom that I have um onto a player and we had good success together and you then did, uh, yeah you know she she was had already contractually obligated to somebody else the next year and so you know then we went back together and it was a long story but uh my work with her was great it was fun I enjoyed it um I, I think I made a difference um and then you know now I've been working with Sam Stozer on and off for the last couple of years just in her last years of her career we are obviously very good friends we played doubles together and she's yeah. one of my closest friends and um you know just trying to impart some joy and passion into her last few years of her career and um you know she had a run in the finals at Guangzhou a year and a half ago where she lost to um Sophia Kennan in a really close match and that was yeah. probably one of the most proudest uh weeks of my life on the tennis court was uh coaching her through to that final because she was really struggling confidence wise and her game and yeah you know to see her get to the final i was you know it was one of honestly i was i've i've had some really great moments in my own career but that i've told her recently it was one of the most proudest moments just to see wow. somebody i care about and you know could could influence a little bit to to have that week um you know and and get her to, to have a little bit more joy in her game again um that was great so i you know, I have a hard time. People like, well, what do you love more, coaching or television? And I said, I kind of, I just, it's hard for me to pick between the two of them because I, li- I like them both so much. With think- it, in the end, it's just imparting what I love about the game.
0: Yeah. Either one is the same, player, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Or the viewer. So it's yeah. like the viewer or the player. So, yeah. um, you know, I... I Obviously, you know Sam's career is coming to an end at some point. Um, yeah. soon. So you know, we'll see if I uh, start working with anybody else. I did a bit of work last year with Jeannie Bouchard as well, and I really enjoyed that as well. She's a hard worker, and you know her ranking was like 350 when I started working with her, and she got it up to you know within the 120s again after a great 12 months. Um, so here's so, a question
0: for you then: if you could, who if you could work with anyone right now, who oh, would God. be? <laughs>
1: Uh, oh, wow. Well, um, I think if I had the choice between the... I, I think I would love to work with a guy, to be honest, as you? well. Um, yeah, I think I could really, you know, my mind is a little bit sort of... I
0: loved um, it when Amelie worked with Andy.
1: Yeah, uh, I would I love to work with Dennis Shapovalov. I'd love... with you? Him. Yeah, um, I think, yes, I, I would love to work with him. Um, and... I mean there's plenty i could pick from uh but him for sure and then on the in the women's um wow i mean there's there's lots <laughs> there's lots that i would like to work with but um you know there's so many talented women out there and there, and there are some that you know need some coaching right now um but uh yeah. Yeah, I, you know the bottom line is h- whoever um i work with i just i just my whole goal when i coach is we're going to get better at one thing every single day yeah. and whatever that is could be mental, could be your forehand, could be your volleys. So whatever it is, let's just get better at one thing every day and see the positives in what we do. Yeah, awesome.
0: Listen, Renee, I'm really conscious of time. I kept you way longer than I said I would. Um, just one last closing question. I normally have about half a dozen. We don't have time for that. But I guess what what has been your standout highlight moment of your career the last sort of 20, 30 years? What 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 would it be? Is it hard, is it hard to pick? because <laughs> there too many?
1: Yeah, it's like picking your favorite child, really. Um,
0: <laughs> That's easy, you know, for me. No, but I'm
1: everyone, <laughs> everyone has one. Oh, just kidding. Um, oh boy. I mean, sure. the, honestly, Sam, there's so there's so many. I mean, winning my first Grand Slam in Australia is probably the greatest day of my oh, life. Wow. You know, yeah. To to have achieved what I said. Um, you know, to be able to control myself and get through one of the. T- it was such a hard match. It was such a tough match. You know, just yeah. start to finish. Um, you know. Defeating Martina Hingis for the first time on that court in her entire career was uh, was pretty was pretty great. But you know, also you know, getting that first Wimbledon title like that's just a memory I'll never forget. Um, yeah, you know, pretty doing, special, doing, isn't it?
0: Wimbledon, pretty yeah,
1: special. Yeah, but you know, you know, winning it twice with Cara and winning it with somebody other than Lisa was also something that was so meaningful for me. You know, to to have achieved something with somebody other than Lisa who I was so yeah. successful with. I mean, that's just this endless, endless, you know, winning the mixed okay. doubles at the open with one of my best friends and Todd Woodbridge. I mean, it's just, it's playing for my my country. I mean, you know, that I was very blessed. I was just. Yeah. Know, very, we
0: very haven't very even blessed. touched on the Olympics. Like, you know, four times you went to the Olympics. We haven't even talked about that.
1: Yeah, but that's fine because I never won a medal. so that,
0: <laughs> 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 Don't want to talk about that. Oh, I want to talk about it. I've got 101 things I want to talk to you about, but listen, um, I think we need to call it there. I mean, it's been a phenomenal conversation. I do feel like I could probably speak to you for another hour. I want to thank you for for your generosity of time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: You're welcome, Sam. And uh, thanks.
0: Thanks for having me. No, my pleasure. You've been listening to The Real Life Sports Show. I hope you found some value and joy in this podcast. If you have, then please tell someone else about it. And also, while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review? Also, you can share it on your socials. You'll find me mostly on Instagram at samadamscoach. You can also check me out at my website, sam-adams.com. Send any comments or any interest in coaching or speaking to my Instagram. Just drop me a DM. I look at all my messages and I respond to every single one of them.